What is up, everybody? We are back. This is episode 47 of An Untold Narrative, and I have a super special guest, Ed, or Edward Sonics, I believe is how you say it. He uh, is somebody I've only ever met through the internet, so this is the first time we've actually seen each other. Uh, we met through the app Clubhouse, um, but he's a designer, a maker, a creative, um, and even holds a job at Apple, uh, which is also super intriguing, which we may or may not get into, uh, depending on how much he's willing to share. Uh, Ed, what's up? Hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> super well, super well, thanks. Um, give, give everybody just a little bit of context of, of where you are, uh, you know, I sure. guess, where, where you're coming from. Uh, I think you're in the UK, but I honestly have no idea. Yeah, man, sure. Um, so I'm currently living in London in the UK. I've lived here about five years now since university. Um, got a bit of a background that kind of goes all over the place from graphic design to photography to filmmaking to art direction and then into kind of shoes and clothing over the last few years. So it's been a little all over the place. But yeah, that's my current world where I am. So as you rifled off like seven different things that you're interested in uh and i'm very similar in that fashion how how do you prioritize kind of what's important or are all of them important because they're interesting to you they kind of all lead into each other on the depending on what i'm wanting to do at that moment that i tend to have these kind of very hyper focused times on one thing and there's been a bunch of times where i've been obsessing over a creative medium and the spark has completely burned through and then I've been done with it and I've just lost interest and that's been it um and then I've always had that skill in the back pocket but I've never really used it whereas other things I kind of stumble into and then end up falling in love with in and out of love like anything with creative like there's those moments where you absolutely hate it as well um but it's always been kind of project led and whatever I've wanted to do within it and then the next bit is the medium and how I kind of come to it and whatever's the most appropriate way of executing it I guess. So we're we're like three minutes into this conversation and we have way more in common than I ever imagined uh, because I, I pretty much run my life in a very similar similar way. Could you I'm going to push that thought further though could you give an example of something that you've tried and, the, and, and then it's fizzled out after you've accomplished it, but you've gained a skill set out of it, but you're like, okay, that love's burned out. And then on the flip side, give an example of something that comes and goes in waves, but you continue it on for longer periods of time. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the one that really springs to mind is photography for a love that burned out quite hard was, I remember being 10 years old and obsessively wanting a digital camera for Christmas and trying to justify that I would use it all the time and it would be this most amazing thing and it will take me all these places and kind of selling this whole future plan to my parents. Um, I eventually did get a camera. I probably used it about five times at 10 years old and then never touched it again. And this was used as an example of why I shouldn't obsess over things for a long time but I ended up then studying photography later on um, whilst I was finishing high school and absolutely fell in love with it for probably about three years fully planned on going into photography to study at university had all of this kind of lined up and then made the call to study graphic design instead um, because I could do photography within it 
and I just kind of lost all desire to take photos. I was just done with it at that time. I sold my camera. I was completely out. Um, but in a way now I'm looking back on it going, I've got the skill set. I know how to operate in like a photo studio. I know how to art direct photo shoots. I can take my like, shots myself and I've got this to use whenever I need. And I might not love it like I used to, but it's still a massively useful thing. Um, and then the second part for me, shoe making is the one that I constantly love, but then hate on certain periods and absolutely never want to see again. And then I kind of creep back to it two days later or something. I'm a bit like, yeah, I'm going to continue this. What's the, what's the hate part? It's, there's a couple of bits which I find really quite amusing because they're so simple to part of it is that when there's been something that hasn't quite worked or has been really difficult I then realized I have to do it all over again for the second shoe and something about that on its own can just push me over the edge sometimes if I'm not really feeling it um, and then there's little parts of the process uh, like lasting and actually gluing up the sole I'm just not very good at that yet and I don't like it because I'm not as good at it as the other parts of the making. So it's become, it's a, it's a longer term thing, um, but it's stuck around in my head for the last few years. So I don't think it's going anywhere. But I think one that's very self-aware of you, right? That you understand that it's the part that I hate and I, I try to avoid it as much as possible, but I know it's also the part that I'm not as good at, which most people aren't self-aware enough to recognize that and then they just ignore it and then they drop it completely because they're like, oh, this is something, this is a hurdle I can't or I don't want to get over. Mm, it's interesting the way you kind of like say that is that I've, I've thought about dropping it a bunch of times and almost dropping it out of my head temporarily to know when I really like to do something and it then finds its way back in through another project or another idea or another thing. And then what has ended up happening is it's left me with a few unfinished projects over time. And that's been a weakness of my own, like that I often start a load of projects and then I've got a few just hanging there. And if I'm not fully into them, they can hang there for months at a time. So I've really, over the last year, worked on trying to finish everything I'm doing before I start something new, which has been a battle in itself really but it's but it's a battle and i think this is where 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 we're, we're very very similar is i do the same thing like uh when i make clothing it comes in waves like inspirational waves and i'll do a month and a half straight like every week i'm churning out a new article of clothing but then all of a sudden i get a wave of inspiration to do more paintings and then i just shift completely and i drop but then i know it's still there i know i can go back to it when i'm feeling in the moment so it's it's a battle, but I, I, uh, I guess I've just adapted to just go with how I'm feeling and not, not fight the fact that I have to finish it because then I find that it's not as good of, of the work versus we're in charge of our own timelines for things like these, right? Like that's not, that's not what you get paid to do every day. These are, these are exactly. to fulfill you. Um, so really it's an internal battle uh, versus anything. It certainly is. And I, I think I found with it is, especially with something like making a pair of shoes, the actual creativity, the thought, the process, all almost like the actual kind of idea for the project was done. I then needed to actually execute it. And so in terms of the way it kind of comes and goes, there's certain mindsets I know 
that I absolutely should not sit on a sewing machine with them because I'll just make a mistake. I just fully know, I can feel it in my body. I'm like, I will mess up this stitch or I will rip something by accident or irreparable damage that I can't ever go back on. But there is something about knowing that I need to be disciplined to actually take it all the way through. Otherwise, it might end up in the box somewhere underneath my bed or back of the closet or something that I may never see it again. And that's why I find it frustrating if I find something later on that I'm a bit like, ah, I really should have actually finished that. And now it's just a bit worn out. It's a bit gone and didn't quite do what it needed to do. So it's a kind of, it is that balancing act on like a knife edge really with it. Yeah, totally. Um, so we, we just, uh, we spent a, quite a bit of time talking about your kind of passion projects and we're going to deep dive into, into some of the other uh, bigger kind of picture things that you're working on. Um, but bring us back to kind of university and stuff like that. You mentioned you studied a little bit of photography, then you went into graphic design. Uh, how did you find those? Uh, obviously, it sounds like you had a passion for photography at a super young age. Was it the fact that you started learning the more technical side of photography and then you realized that there's a, there's a creative aspect in terms of layout and how it's presented and that's where the graphics kicked in? It's an interesting way I fell into it. That I've got a few moments in my life where I realized things just kind of fell into place in a way that was almost out of my control. And throughout high school, I was very scientific led and I loved knowing how things worked and everything kind of tech really fascinated me. And I was nerdy as hell with all of this stuff. And I was kind of following that path because I was like blessed enough to be good at these subjects. And my school very much pushed me to carry on with that because it made them look better. And there was a real kind of attitude amongst the school. And I think it still exists in loads of British schools that creativity is kind of your, it's the cop-out subjects. It's the easy way out. It's the ways that if you can't do other things, you go and do art, which I never agreed with. Um, but I was kind of curious about engineering, about medicine and, all of these things. So uh, in England, when we go into the last two years of high school, we do these things called A-levels where you choose four subjects to do. Um, and I started out uh, with physics, biology, history, and graphic design. And I was quite sure that I was gonna drop graphic design out of there and go down these other routes. And within two weeks of the courses starting, I just realized I couldn't learn from my physics teacher. Like her and I were just on such polar opposites of the kind of learning spectrum that I realized that if I was gonna pass, I would have had to have taught myself nearly all of it. And that is not an easy thing to do with physics. So I kind of made what felt at the time almost like a very split second decision. I went, right, it's two weeks in, I can change my subjects here. I don't need to do this. And the only subject that really fit my timetable was photography. And I was really pushed away from doing it because it was seen as an easy subject out. Going from physics to photography is a bit of a, a switch up. Um, but I went for it because that's what my gut kind of told me. And I think it was the first time I like followed my gut in there and then fell in love with it over the two years that I studied them both was torn constantly between the two in which one I preferred. Um, and eventually I realized I could do probably more with the graphic design and like a wider range of subjects that it kind of played that way. 
Um, so I ended up going to a university called Falmouth, which is in Cornwall, which is an art special uh, university to study graphic design um, for the next three years. And it honestly was the best decision I'd ever made from that point of view, because it allowed me to explore all of these other things and also just allowed me to make countless mistakes and figure out how many different things I had absolutely no idea what I was doing with, even though at the time I probably thought I kind of knew what was going on. Um, but yeah, that's how I kind of got into this world. And it was almost like a stumbling moment pushed me completely from being scientific down to this more creative route. But then that kind of scientific way has always just ended up showing up again in all of these other aspects of my life. Yeah. You said something really interesting there. So there's, there's two points, right? The first is that like your, your teacher that in you that butted heads that really just not necessarily drove you out of it, but like what you, you realize this is a, this is a fight that I can't win. It's not worth it. And so I have to pivot and then you do that. But then secondly, you said something really interesting around uh, graphic design has allowed me to make mistakes. And so I want, I, I'm super curious as to like what, what would some of those be or, or what have, what have, how have they resulted in mistakes and what have they turned into? Really interesting question. I think the key thing that always stands out to me and whenever I say to someone that I meet at a party or something that I study graphic design, everyone seems to have a different understanding of what that means but in a way not same with like saying fine art or something like that because everyone understands that that can vary in its medium and in what it actually entails but everyone seems to think they know what graphic design is um but then the reality is it's just any kind of visual communication and fine art can be graphic design photography can be graphic design in its own relations and all of this kind of stuff so i went into this course kind of thinking I knew what graphic design was and I was lucky enough to have worked as a junior graphic designer before I went um, in a very local little company and I kind of thought I knew by then um, what this whole concept entailed so I went in with probably quite a heavy layer of arrogance about what I was going to do and then I realized quite quickly that I wasn't executing the best solution for the brief. I was executing the solution that I kind of fancied doing at the time. And that wasn't the right way around. I wasn't solving the problems. I was just kind of doing whatever I wanted to do and then shoehorning it into the brief afterwards. So for, um, for, for context, you're talking about you, you, you graduate college with a, with a graphic design um, degree and you get a job uh, locally at a firm, let's call it. And you are just uh, a young designer as, as we all, you know, a lot of listeners are creatives or designers or, or painters or artists or whatever. Um, usually we start out with a little bit of ego, right? And a little bit, you use the word arrogance, right? So you're saying mm -hmm. that you, you were, you were just like, no, this is the way that I envision this, but I'm not actually solving the problem. Do you remember like one specific instance of, of that happening? And then like, what, what made you come to the self-realization that you were being arrogant about a project? Was there like one 
uh, email that you received back or was it a conversation or was it just over time you recognized that, hey, this isn't actually doing anybody any good. This is me thinking it's my mm. work, but it's actually not. Interestingly, I think it was my first year at university. I, in every sense of it, I don't regret any decision I ever made uh, there because I enjoyed myself that first year. I very much focused on the kind of the actual university life rather than just the creative side. And I almost failed that first year which as any kind of British listener will know is a very tough thing to do because they make it so easy to pass the first year and move on because none of it counts towards your final grade from that first year. And I think you needed to get 40% over the year to pass, which is obviously a very yeah. small number. And I think I got about 43 or 44. And all of the feedback I got was your final execution is great but you haven't put any kind of process work or legwork into the start of it. And at the time I kind of battled with it a bit and fought back and kind of argued my point. But over time I've kind of realized that they were looking for a certain like demonstration of this process, which didn't necessarily suit me. And the way I kind of design and think today probably wouldn't get the marks back then anyway um, because I do a lot of it in my head when I'm walking when I'm just kind of sat there sometimes I'll just stare at the ceiling for five minutes and it kind of freaks out some of my co-workers sometimes but that's the way I work and it works for me but it made me realize at that point that I had pretty much decided on my final solution as soon as I got the brief and I hadn't actually explored why the brief was set the way it was what the parameters were whether they were even asking the right questions. I didn't even go to that point and I never went to the why. And over those three years, I had some great tutors and great classmates who made me realize how important the why was. And the simple thing is it can look great, but if it isn't solving the problem, it's bad design. And it really kind of, I think that was the first time I was so aware of the fact that I just really wasn't right on that. And I then obviously had that ego hit, as you say, like it can, it can take you down a few notches, but it turned it, it was the start for me from to start enjoying being wrong. And now it's the thing that if I'm wrong, that's great because someone would have had to have proved that I'm wrong. And if they can prove it, that's fantastic. Cause I even then learn from that as well. And it's this great experience around. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I, I love that and figuring out the why. Uh, it's it's not only in, in work, it's not only in design, mm. it's in everything, right? It's figuring out why why yeah. we make every decision you make. Um, it's that's a, that's a super fun journey to be on. And you were, what, in your early 20s at that point to discover that? I think I must have been 19. Yeah, 19 to 20. Um, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, it's a, it was it's a very weird kind of, flowing the course down there and I think this is the reason why it worked so well for me in the end but it was so ideas focused they fully understood that you could gain the craft in whatever aspect you needed to do over time but your ideas were so so important to creating the right thing and if you could show your idea perfectly on a napkin you know the classic thing then that's fine. Like that is the way it should be. You know, it doesn't need to always be these incredibly highly polished 
things if you can communicate your idea and it's a good idea that's all that really matters and I've kept that from then even though I've kind of pivoted away from the kind of work that they taught I've kept that way of being uh, all the way through and it's I use it as you said outside of design outside of everything in life in general if, if I can't figure out my why of why something's happening then I don't tend to do it I tend to just kind of shy away from it or move on or try and figure out the next step yeah um talk about what happened after college right so you have these discovery moments you have this creative field you now have a little bit of legs in in photography you get it you get your degree in graphics what happens next because basically i want to lead up or, or lay up the idea of 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 getting into the fact that you do work for Apple um, under under art direction, I believe it is, um, and you can expand on that later. But like, yeah. what was what was the stepping stones in order to get there for you? It was a really interesting thing again, just in the kind of for me the way things fell into place. That we had this thing that was a it's a tradition, and every final year student would go up to London at the time and had this portfolio showcase and all the ex-alumni and big agencies in the design world and branding and everything would be invited down um, to come and have a look to chat to the students and everything. I had my portfolio there it was mostly digital and I, I wanted to go into branding at that time as I didn't really know what else was out there it was very much that was what we were being taught in and I could see myself doing it um I then spoke to a bunch of people that night and one uh, guy was a actually ironically was an art director which is almost surprising that it's irrelevant in this and he said I think you'd be really good in user experience design and I remember just nodding, trying to look like I was aware of what was going on. But I actually had no idea what he even meant by that at that point. I didn't get it at all. And he was like, I'm going to put you in contact with um, uh, my colleague, Grace Francis. And I was like, cool, that sounds fantastic. Like, obviously, coming out of college, you just want a job that's creative. Um, and I then interviewed at a bunch of kind of branding places and never really felt like I wanted to be there. And I then uh, virtually met this woman, Grace Francis, um, who was the user experience director at an agency called Gray, um, which is a very kind of a long history of traditional advertising. Um, started out in New York in the kind of 50s and was really part of that original advertising era. And this user experience side was very new. Um, and she was, she had this tiny team. I think there ended up being four of us at the time. And we would do these kind of user experience and user interface design projects from working for Vodafone um, about their kind of pay-as-you-go journeys to uh, like banking clients and how to kind of change this to, I think one was like a kind of cheese cracker and how you have that placed within a, uh, store and how it's the best opportunity to show at the right moments and how do you create that user planning and that journey so I ended up doing that for I think just under a year um, during this time I, I was anxious as hell I felt 
awful on my personal life. Like I didn't feel like I belonged in London at this point, um, which was something that ended up when I finally spoke about it to my peers, everyone was feeling this kind of lack of identity at this point was difficult for a lot of us. Um, so in combining that with uh, the fact that I actually needed a, a knee surgery, um, I ended up leaving Gray and took a couple of months off after the surgery because I just needed to stop for a little bit. Um, and that kind of gave me this space to think about things a little bit differently. Um, and I went and did an internship at this company called Bow and Arrow, which was, is very much kind of design strategy focused and like business strategy and things like that. And I went in with this idea that I, I would really fit this mold and the reality was I just didn't it, I wasn't that kind of person I actually felt much more in the strategy side than the design side and that wasn't the role that they needed then um, so I remember finishing the internship and feeling just as anxious as I had before and still feeling like I didn't really know if I belonged or was in like a good place at all for me so can you can can you talk a little because now you've referenced it twice now and it mattered like how many years ago was this how old were you um and then what was that that feeling you, you mentioned talking to your peers about not feeling like you mm. belong was it like not feeling like you belonged in the real world of like hey i have a full-time job and i'm probably a little underpaid for what i'm doing and nobody values me and like what what mm. was the feeling that that made you kind of realize that hey like this isn't for me yeah so i was I was probably 22 at the time um and it was a, a collection of a lot of it really that i didn't feel like i belonged in that culture and there was a lot i disagreed with in the culture of advertising of this kind of design world which is realistically very underpaid for the amount of work you need to put in and there is a kind of attitude there that is changing um but at the time like it was a lot of these places weren't even paying london living wage so there is a level that we have here which is very clear that people can live comfortably on it say comfortably is it's definitely not a comfortable level it's you can live um and a lot of these places weren't paying that um i was lucky enough to be in a position where i did get paid that level but I felt like I didn't really belong in any of these places from an imposter syndrome side. I felt I put more pressure on myself than probably anyone else did. So I was then thinking that I wasn't living up to expectations when in reality, I was probably doing absolutely fine. I was just expecting much more from myself. Um, and then the other side is London housing is really expensive. And when you're coming in, you don't really have a huge amount of money other than to live. So a few, me and a few of my friends were doing these kind of, we found out that Airbnb, if you booked it for a month, you often got a 50% discount. So we were kind of playing this loophole for a while, but it ended up with about four of us in a one bed flat. And that was, <laughs> I, it, it was affordable, but it wasn't great. You know, like it was not a good idea. <laughs> Wait, so um, you're hacking the Airbnb system of getting these <laughs> discounts and you're basically just... You're yeah, it was, we, yeah, we were basically couch surfing in these one bed flats <laughs> and 
were paying probably 200 pounds each per month which for london rent is like yeah, it's incredible like yeah. it was the way we could figure out to live in a lot of them but my god if you're trying to figure out your place in the world and in a company and in a creative industry and you're coming home to a broken sofa bed that you have to share with your friend it's not a good way to give yourself space in order to think about the next step and what you needed to do the next day and feel rested and just look after yourself really. So I didn't really look after myself for a lot of that first year and a half, maybe two years of living here, um, which definitely had a massive detrimental effect to how I performed in what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, it was a really, it's a weird way around of all of these things, but. But so you, you mentioned, you mentioned imposter syndrome and not feeling uh, up to an adequate level. And that's, oh, this is all internal uh, that, that you're curating yourself. It sounds like definitely have you looking back on it? How did you get out of it? Have you gotten out of it? Like, where do you stand today with your work? And, you know, was there, was there a, a moment in time? I mean, I'm curious to see how you got out of the, the couch surfing era, but I'm, as well but like maybe we get back to that but like i'm i'm more curious as to like what what was there a defining point in time that made you realize like okay this is in my control um i'm setting these boundaries for myself uh and allowing myself to grow as a creative um you know what was that defining moment if there was honestly i think it was I think it probably was when I joined Apple. So after um, after I left that internship, I then was freelancing for a while, uh, struggling to pay rent, desperate for a job. Got a job at this, uh, another advertising agency where I worked as a product designer. Um, I struggled again through that. I felt a bit more settled in myself because at that point I actually had an apartment that I was living in and I was at least enjoying outside of work. Um, but that job only ended up lasting about six months because I got a call from a recruiter who I had pestered when I first moved to London, asking if he could get me internships. And I don't think I have even heard back from him. He might've just sent me one email or something like that. And then three years later, I get this call from him saying, I don't know if you remember me. And I was like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I had to kind of go back over time to figure it out. And he's like, there's this job uh, opening up at Apple. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Um, long interview process later, ended up starting the role. And there's a really defining moment for me that throughout my career at that point, I felt like I was always a tiny voice in the room. And I really had to speak up and fight my position in order to get anything through. And the advertising world and stuff like that can be quite ruthless and if you're not loud enough, you don't tend to get heard. So I went into Apple with this mentality that I'd been learning over three years without even realizing it. And it was the way I was trying to push beyond the imposter syndrome was just pitch my idea, whether I thought it was good or not. And I remember getting into this quite, it was quite a tough argument actually with one of the other designers. And my art director sat me down and said that attitude isn't really acceptable here. And I didn't really understand what you meant at the time, because for me, I was passionately trying to defend an idea that I had put forward. And he just kind of explained it to me and a bunch of other people did too. Uh, it took me a while to learn it. But the understanding that this kind of way of accepting that there is no right idea for everything and 
everyone has a valid idea and if you disagree on an opinion and stuff that actually it doesn't really matter and it's okay you can accept it you can be really open and gentle about it and still create something great whether you thought it's the right idea is going to vary massively and that kind of gave me this freedom to loosen my own pressure on myself from an imposter syndrome side because if I was putting forward an idea that I thought was good and could justify it then I thought that was you know what this is good enough this is actually something that I can be proud of whether it's the best idea ever it's likely not going to be um but it gave me a little bit of I guess taking the pressure off myself but I still fall into traps of it a lot um but I just try and remind myself that there is no right way and there's just a bunch of different ways and sometimes you got to choose one and go with it and make it good from there you know we 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 often try to figure out if something is better or worse than what it previously was because all we have for context is the past right so it's like is it better or worse and like people ask, you know, other people like, oh, like, is it a better moment now for you or than before? And like, to that comment, right, or, or point of view, it's like, it's not necessarily better or worse, it's just different at that moment mm-hmm. in time. And everybody has a different opinion about it. Like you're really good could be somebody's really terrible and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having that open mind is super, super key. And it sounds like that conversation really shifted your narrative. Um, and so how that conversation with your art director was that that was at Apple and then how long ago was that and kind of where did you what was the position you held when you started and then kind of where are you today yeah so that was when I just joined really that must have been within my first couple of months and I'd really I hadn't really found my feet yet the Apple environment was very different um it's much, it was much more open and accepting of anyone's idea, no matter where it came from, um, which I hadn't really experienced at that point. So it was a a bit of a kind of daunting moment, but in a weirdly, really positive way. So I came in uh, to work on the app store as uh, more just a kind of branding designer. Um, And that was three years ago. And throughout that time, I've kind of shifted my scope of work from just being a designer who like worked on kind of branding side of things uh, on these editorial stories to being much more of an art director and strategic designer across campaigns and much wider ranging things um, which has been a really awesome learning curve for me and I swiftly realized that kind of that fight attitude that I used to have works in certain places but it never should be encouraged as like a way forward because now I go into rooms every now and then and I'm looking around and the imposter syndrome strikes again where I I know the seniority of certain people and I think who let me in the room here why am I here and then they just genuinely ask my opinion and everyone's interested in this very level playing field and you are there for a reason And it's something that I want to take no matter where I go, no matter what I do in my life to just remember that actually it's, it's not about necessarily the seniority of people or even the experience, but just the perspectives of everyone creates a much better rounded piece of creativity product or to be honest, any part of life really. 
Isn't that amazing how much a, a work environment or people just asking you like your opinion, how much that can shift like your your satisfaction with a job? I mean, the the, the number one and two thing that people want out of any job is uh, one purpose and then two probably to be heard. And it's like mm -hmm. those two things are very simple to actually achieve. You just managers and bosses a lot of times aren't managers and bosses and they're thrown into these positions and they don't know how to be receptive to those things. And it sounds like you finally found that. And that's really awesome to hear because it does, I feel like it's, this is why so many, I don't know if it's outside of creatives, but a lot of creative people want to go work for themselves and they don't want to go work for corporations anymore because they're tired of it. Right. Mm -hmm. There's, there's so many opportunities out there where, why would I have to go into a, a quote unquote nine to five where nobody respects my opinion, like I'm getting paid to do this job and yet my opinion doesn't matter or it seems like it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. So it sounds like you found that. So let me ask the question, like three years into Apple, like are you, are you stoked to be there? Like, are you, are you still excited? Do you like what you're doing? I catch myself sometimes because there, there is this natural thing that I'm sure nearly every designer has no matter what field you're in of this kind of like the shiny North star of Apple being this really amazing thing. And they all kind of want to be a part of it at some point, which was very much a massive point of pride. When I first joined, I felt like I'd really achieved something. And then you quickly learn that actually it's, it is a collection of brilliant individuals and some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And great to just have conversations every day, but, like everything, I think we move through these kind of points and this role gave me a huge amount in terms of my personal side, like actual personal development, learning who I was, what I need as a person. Um, and it's one of those ones where I'm so excited by so many things that Apple are doing and I want to be involved with all of them. So I'm kind of caught in this <laughs> I, mean, I always I always feel like an excitable child with it where I see something coming up and, and we see the announcements just at the same time as everyone else we'll sit down and watch it together and we'll be like oh I really want to go and work with that or I want to be involved in here and there and it's this really lovely kind of atmosphere that you can talk about that stuff um, but it is that thing that I I'm at a point now where I feel confident in myself and what I want to do and who I kind of can see myself being that I need to always be aware of opportunities, no matter what shape or form they come in. Um, on a personal side of things, like being locked in this one apartment for the past two years of my life has been, it's accelerated me massively. And I want to go live abroad. And I'm, that's just a bucket list thing. Take any kind of employment out of it that I've always had. So I'm at that point now where I'm personally very ready to kind of move abroad, go do something a bit different maybe come back to London in the future, but go explore something that pushes my comfort zone like way out that right now I'm very, very comfortable. And that's something that doesn't feel particularly good for me. It's not something I enjoy necessarily. Uh, so I, I, I want to ask one question, but I want to go backwards first. I want to pick up on something you mentioned uh, personal development and that Apple's kind of helped you through that even, or, or you're, you're to take the brand out of it. Just you're, you finding a, a healthy work environment. Mm -hmm. um, talk about 
the personal development a little bit more. I know that from our clubhouse talks, you used to host or uh, get involved in, in mental health specifically. And we're and I think that's very much in line with your personal development. Um, where, where do you stand with that? Was there a, a moment in time, uh, one for context, I have no idea how old you are. So I don't know uh, if there was a, a something that you went through that was like a this shining moment or if it was a culmination of all these different events from, from couch surfing, being underpaid, imposter syndrome. Uh, you mentioned knee surgery. Was it all these things that kind of have, have been a, a, a cumulative struggle for you or was there like a, a breaking point and then that was really the, the initiator, the igniter for, for the, the personal development? Interestingly, in this way, I, I think it's something that people don't talk about enough on a bigger side that there are a lot of times mental health issues uh, are put down to an event happening or a personal piece of kind of like trial that is just very difficult. And that can certainly be the case. Whereas for me, and having spoken quite openly about it in the past, I think more people resonated with it than I ever expected. I feel at my worst and I've struggled the most when everything is okay around me. If there's something that I really like that is really challenging and really difficult in life, I tend to be at my best and I tend to feel fine. I'm good in a crisis, like I'm comfortable in that world when nothing is happening and everything is okay on paper that's when i start to spiral sometimes and this happened it started off in high school actually um i first got diagnosed with depression and anxiety when i must have been about 16 maybe 17 and it's been on and off ever since really and it's always been in these moments where it's i'm putting the pressure on myself i'm causing it on myself i'm not looking at things from a rational viewpoint i'm not doing the right things to care for my body and things like i've had multiple knee surgeries now that has affected me because exercise just like you has always been a a real source of kind of goodness in my life and a real way of getting out of my own head and then suddenly i was unable to do anything it was it really drove me back into a bit of a hole with it and the personal development side within that has been a lot of talking therapy, a lot of understanding my own body, a lot of introspection about how I behave and the way I need to kind of fuel myself. And I still fall down on it all the time. You know, like it's, it's something that I know I need to exercise super regularly and I will feel good in general. I'll feel much more level. But if I fall down on that for a week or two and maybe eat badly or this or that, I will feel the mental effects of that and I'll dip off. Um, but it's the awareness that I know that that happens and I know it's there. I can catch myself now in like a second, whereas before I could spiral for months without even realizing what I was doing. And for me, that's, that's all the development I think I, I needed and I think that's what I'm going to take forward and keep honing that and kind of tightening the screws to make it fit a little bit better um, yeah so, so you mentioned a couple things right you mentioned not getting comfortable um, and that that leads to you being uncomfortable um, like, <laughs> yeah. and I and I'm I'm very much 
similar in that sense. But then you mentioned the the physical side of things and then the eating the eating right things. Those are huge influences with our moods and things like that. Mm. What's something that's uh, I want to push on the thought of for somebody listening and who struggles the same way as maybe an, an intangible that you can you've highlighted amongst yourself or what's helped you figure these things out is there a specific uh not exercise in the physical format but like is there uh, an exercise mm. that you go through daily or, or weekly or something that kind of helps you break that cycle and get you back on track um is there kind of some advice that you would give uh to help somebody Definitely. yeah it's a really really good question and it's obviously very different for every person but identifying trying to identify that first sign of when you're on the edge of something maybe you're pushing yourself a little bit too hard at work and outside whatever it may be the thing that i notice before i feel bad is i become less clean in my bedroom or in the house or those really simple tasks like putting away a glass or whatever it may be that they're like i've taken off a jacket and i haven't hung it up that somehow is one of the biggest red flags about my mental health that if if my room is tidy and clean it doesn't have to be pristine or anything but just things are put away i'm not just taking off my shoes and chucking them on the floor like i'm actually just putting them back in the rack or wherever they need to be that's when i know that i'm okay or not okay and the thing that i can always do to bring myself back the easy first step is i just clean what's around me whether that's my workspace i do it in the office as well but if, if i'm struggling I will just clean my desk for 10 minutes, 15 minutes and kind of try and reset my brain a little bit that way. And yeah, but how, how did you discover that cleaning? So we, we got to the, we got to the intangible, right? That works for you, sure. but it might not work for everybody. How did you, how did you, maybe you have insights as to how you discovered that? Was it trial and error? Were you just trying different things and then you just, you stumbled into, oh, cleaning is actually, you know, helping me. Like I enjoy like sure. out while I do it. And then it kind of resets me, you know, or. I think people can notice the things that you have like together or the things that are right in your life when you're in a good position and just things almost in a way that society accepts is like a good way of living, you know, like no one really justifies the idea that living in a pigsty of a room is a good idea. I think that's pretty generally accepted. Um, I think there is kind of, overall way of looking at that that people might be able to notice the things that they maybe stop doing and i think the classics with depression and anxieties almost invariably people become more tired and more lazy in their behavior and i think being able to notice what your version of that is can be really helpful so it's if you look at say you wake up one day and you're feeling like really low and not very well maybe look back a day two days a week a little bit before that and see if you notice anything that kind of went out of your routine or out of your way of being and it's not saying that everyone needs to have a really tight routine at all because i personally don't i have quite a loose one and go with my kind of gut feeling on a lot of things but the simple thing that i noticed i was like huh i just stopped doing these very basic things and they started seeming like a lot of effort i think that might be a really key thing if something simple seems like a lot of effort when you know rationally that it's not, that's when you start to kind of notice, oh, maybe this is not 
a rational feeling. This is a feeling that is caused by being unwell or something else that's there. That is that is what I asked the question for. We 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 got <laughs> down to it, and that's awesome. So I I really hope people play that back because it's so important. Uh, you know, even for myself, I don't think I've ever done that of like looking back on when things are going really well and you can appreciate that time, what was working well and then where, where you are when it's not going well of like, what's different? What, what mm. is that trigger? And so I think. Yeah. What feels good. really hard to do. And one of the first things I noticed was for me was hanging up laundry. That was the first, I think that was the first trigger that I ever noticed. Suddenly felt like this kind of heavy weight on myself that I'd be like, Oh, I've really got to go and move that. And it seemed like a really big task when in reality, obviously it's really not a big task at all. And it takes a couple of minutes at most. <laughs> and, but it seemed like um, the Everest at the moment and I was quite aware of it and then realized it actually spilled into all of the other bits around that kind of organizational side of things. And that really kind of triggered this long it took probably a couple of years before I was fully like aware that if I felt bad, I am ill. The first thing I do is just sub, like, shut out my mind and go and clean my space, the space I was in at the time. And then I can look at things a bit more kind of clear headed and a bit more rational from there. Yeah, no, that, that makes so much sense. Um, so going back to present day where you're talking about not being too comfortable and getting a little bit, uncomfortable and so you can perform at your best is that because uh, i want to touch on uh your your slow projects uh which is a, a project of yours as is more of this kind of circular approach to, to product creation and if you want one 30 second elevator pitch of what it is and then two is that is that a way for you to learn a new process and make you a little bit uncomfortable or balance out your what you know is more traditional work being your nine to five and that's kind of your offsetting kind of balancing scale. Yeah, absolutely right on all of that. Like the, the little elevator pitch is for me, slow projects is an exploration of how things are made, how we can make things last longer um, in both fashion and shoes and either improve functionality, improve something that's there or, even the simplest one, which I realized the other day after all of this kind of stuff that I've done, that is sometimes you have a piece of clothing or shoes that is absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You just don't like wearing it. So how can you turn it into something that you would like to wear? And that is really it for me. And you hit the nail on the head really for all of it was, I was really curious about shoes initially and how they were made and went back to the kind of science side of my mind. and. I spent a couple of years really on and off just tearing apart shoes and learning how they went together. It was a massive challenge for me. I really wanted to make my own pair. And the first pair I ever made was absolutely awful, as you might imagine, but it was this culmination of a lot of it coming together in this challenge on a personal level to get beyond being really bad at something again, which is something that I'd always struggled with. Um, but I got this immense satisfaction from it and I'm sure you know the feeling when you wear something you've actually made it's like the feeling is almost unbeatable on that side of things and I love doing it I don't know where the whole project is going to go I always 
set out with the idea that it will become whatever it becomes. I didn't want to put any kind of angles on it or any like direct five-year plan for this thing to become something that I just wanted to see where I went with it and make things that I liked along the way. And if it ended up making a bit of money on the side at some point, great. If it didn't, fine. Like it, that always was where I wanted it to be. Um, and I think now a couple of years into really the whole world of it, I think it is becoming exactly how I imagined it. And that makes me feel great on my own side of things and kind of curious to see where it like wanders off to next in inspiration striking. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, no, it's a super fun project. People can find it uh, at slow underscore projects. I think it is, but we'll get into the tags a little bit later. Um, so what, I, what I've, all of this conversation is really exciting to me. Um, and I appreciate you deep diving on so many different uh, aspects uh, of your life. And one thing that I've learned through recording now 47 episodes of this podcast is that usually I ask a question or what I've, what I've discovered is you ask a question and then you kind of pause and get elevated a little bit further for context to give the, the interviewee a little bit more time to actually digest the question versus put somebody on the spot. But I'm not going to do that with my next question because I want to know what your initial reaction <laughs> is. Um, are you happy? No, honestly, right now I'm not. And one of the best things that I've ever done is go to a therapist that was not warm or particularly overly friendly. And she called me out on all of the stupid things I was doing. And the best thing that she ever taught me is learn what you need as a person to make yourself feel good and feel happy. And right now I'm in a position where I'm not feeling creatively fulfilled. And I'm working hard to change that and realign my life. And COVID has obviously pushed a lot of things in a certain way. And as I said, I feel I've done my time in London now. I'd happily come back in the future. But right now, London feels like a place that isn't offering what I kind of want. And that is a personal challenge on my own side. So I don't feel happy in that sense. I'm feeling patient. And that is the really kind of key thing for me because I can be very proactive to almost a fault that I just action things too quickly before I really give it a thought. And understanding that I can sit with being not like perfectly happy right now and that's okay. I wouldn't have been able to say that two years ago, a year ago even. And to just be able to not be okay with that kind of thing would be a really difficult thing right now for me. And to know that I can completely sit here and say to you that I'm not happy and that'd be fine and not like a massive red flag is shows to me like the amount I've grown as a person over however long I've been working on all of this stuff. And I think it's a really, weird thing to say out loud. So I really appreciate the question, actually. I think that's a really interesting one. Yeah, I, I don't know what I, I just had, I, chills just ran up my arms there, uh, goosebumps everywhere right now. Uh, yeah, and that's exactly why I asked the question, because I, I knew you'd have a different perspective on it. And I think the idea, you know, yes, if you can follow um, on social media, like 
mental health, uh, you know, information and things like that. And they, they, they constantly uh, write out that it's okay to not be okay. And, you know, that's a very kind of simplified message, but like mm. you ex- extrapolating that. And to me, the one major key takeaway that I got out of that was the patience factor was it's okay to not be okay. And it's going to last a long time, but I mm. know if I'm comfortable in my own skin over the long term, there's better rewards versus me trying to figure out a bandaid approach solution to not being okay, which is what everybody does. Whether that's exactly. alcohol, exactly. eating shitty, uh, not exercising, watching Netflix, all the above that you've previously said that we, we inherently know they're not great for us, but they're all mm. band-aids. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a huge amount of banners in. I absolutely fall under those traps a lot. I like my discipline with these kind of things ebbs and flows hugely. But the last year of my life has made me realize how patient I can actually be. And for someone who in my like actual job and everything, my proactivity is one of my biggest strengths. And it'd probably be the first thing I'd say on like any kind of interview. <laughs> if I see something that I think is going to be useful or good or whatever, even if it's outside of my wheelhouse, I'll go and try and make it happen. Yeah. But when you try and do that with your own personal life, you can mess things up ir- like irreparably sometimes without even realizing what you're doing. And I've definitely done that in the past where I've jumped too quickly when I'm not happy just to try and repair it in the moment. And I'm fully aware that I'm not where I want to be right now, but that also is really exciting. I just need to keep that, that kind of patience for the right moments and that right kind of thing in front of me to know, you know what, this is a good opportunity. There may be other ones out there, but this is the opportunity I want to take, whether it's moving abroad, a different job, a different kind of world, a whole new artistic medium to try. Like, hell, I might start painting and it might save my entire life. But, you know, it's that kind of way of being that I think is really important. And it's easy to say and it's not easy to do. Um, but yeah, the whole it's okay to not be okay thing and like it's a great phrase and to start with I got it and it it saddens me to feel like it's kind of been so overused in so many scenarios that it's it almost is a band-aid in itself and people then accept that it's okay to not be okay but then don't do anything to benefit themselves to actually help that in my head it's kind of it's okay not to be okay, but you still need to work on yourself to help that initial point. And definitely not a snappy, but you know, it's, I think it's much more important that way. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's the best way to wrap that up. Um, we've, believe it or not, we've been chatting for about an hour now. So this has been, this has been super, super um, awesome. Uh, I'm excited for everybody to listen to this. Uh, I got two more questions for you. The first is where can people find you if they want to kind of know more about you, follow your, your, your pro- projects and stuff like that, or, or just your journey. Sure thing. Um, I keep most things to Instagram. Uh, the first, my personal page is at Ed Sonics. Um, and then my more kind of random creative stuff with clo- shoes and clothes and stuff is uh, slow, pro- slow underscore underscore projects. Um, but it's linked on both of them. Yeah, cool. Um, the, let me ask a, a different question. Uh, I'm going to throw in a third here. 
why why did you decide to separate the two one for one for your projects and one for for your kind of personal is that was there a strategy behind it was it kind of uh a subconscious really funny you asked that so the initial point i i wanted slow projects to be anonymous and it to be completely away from me and everything i was doing and then i really realized within probably a week that it then lacked authenticity mm. and it seemed just the, I, in a way that you see major brands you don't really know who's behind it because it's a whole kind of sum of everyone i realized actually the thing that i can do is be myself on it so it started out that way so i think that's probably why it ended up being split but just in my kind of branding uh education and everything everything about me went i need to brand it in this perfect way and <laughs> to make it its own thing and its own concept and i think that's just my kind of training taking over more than anything else well i do think if you bring up a, an interesting conversation around i do think we've shifted as a culture to wanting to know who's behind things we definitely we agree i have an emotional connection not just with a logo but with mm. the people behind the logo and mm. to me that's really important insight and i think uh whether that's in, in footwear and graphics and marketing and whatever that has become elevated over the past year and a half for sure. And people should, if you, if, if that hasn't been an observation for any listener thus far, you should definitely focus on that. Cause we, uh, brands are leveraging more individuals further and further, uh, not only to their benefit, but the individual's benefit and, and telling and mm -hmm. sharing that story. So I think that is important. Um, and then the last question I have for you, if there's uh, anything that we didn't talk about yet or any piece of advice you'd like to give anybody, um, regardless of where they are, where they're from, what they're doing, um, how they're feeling, uh, anything that you kind of want to sh shed light on or, or, or chat about uh, as we wrap it up? It's interesting. Give me a very wide scope to go on that. <laughs> I've I think, covered I all... I've covered all the mediums. I've covered super yeah. and then I've gotten really wide at the end. I like it. I think the thing for me is I was a super shy kid when I was younger. Like really, really shy and painfully so. And I know so many people are, but like the reason I'm sat here today doing this with you was because I decided I wanted to speak up in a clubhouse thing, even though I wasn't a footwear designer and didn't really know you about it. <laughs> I wanted to learn more and get to know everyone and like because of it, but just because of doing that, I've ended up with some really great relationships purely from probably chatting some bullshit about how design is related within the kind of mix of mediums and all of that jazz. And then I've ended up knowing you and all of the other great guys and um, people out there and just being unafraid to do that, whether it's now in person or virtually, I think, for me that's just the best advice like i've never been offered a job in my life from an application ever and i've only got it through going to chat to people ask them about these things or like personal kind of connections from there that i've developed over the years so i think that's the most important thing for me like just just say something even if you think it's stupid that's kind of nice sometimes to have a conversation off that I think that's awesome. I think that's very, very uh, personal advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
yeah, I think that, that's awesome. And it, and it totally relates with your entire story. Um, Ed, thanks so much for joining us on episode 47 Love of An Untold Narrative. This has been a lot of fun and I appreciate you deep diving into so many different subject matters. Absolutely pleasure, man. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.